Today's a fun day, isn't it? Mother's Day. Ah, let's do this. How many of you, raise your hand if you have a mother. Raise your hand. Yes, everybody's hands should be raised. Every one of us in this room have a mother. And so today we get to celebrate Mother's Day. And this is a good day. I, I wanted to share some, some quotes about mothering. And I thought this would be appropriate for, for you all to hear. Um, Abraham Lincoln said this. Abraham Lincoln said, All that I am or all I ever hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. That's such a good sentiment. Kids, you should write this down. These are things you can put on your uh, Mother's Day card if you have not given it to her yet. Um, another guy, Art, Art Birch, said, Since Jesus highly values children, mothers are his servants when they bless their children for him. That's so cute. I should get an aww for that one. There we go. Uh, this one I uh, found really intriguing. John MacArthur said, Men may have authority in the home, but the women have the influence. The mother, more than the father, is the one who molds and shapes those little lives from day one. Isn't that the truth? I heard an amen. That's, that's, that's the truth. And um, this, one is, this one is true as well. This is from Anonymous. He says, it is never easy being a mother. If they were easy, fathers would do it. And all the ladies said, amen. Isn't that true? Well, on Mother's Day, uh, if you are a mother, if you're not a mother, uh, we want to just say thank you for being here today. We want to just honor you and bless you. Uh, we, we'll have a gift for you at the end of service today and uh, hope that you have a day just to, to be celebrated. And um, I'm just going to take a minute and just right now just pray for, uh, pray for uh, those of you here today. God, we just stand before you today and just want to give you thanks. Um, God, give thanks for mother. Give thanks for mothers. Those Lord, that have given birth to us, those that have treated us as their own children. God, we, we thank you for those that you've placed in our lives. We thank you for the influence they have. We thank you for the love and for the cherish and for the nurturing that they've given to us. We thank you for uh, the wiped noses and the changed diapers. And we thank you, God, for that love and that care. God, I pray for those mothers in here today. God, I pray that you help them to be good and godly mothers, that you help them to, to lovingly watch after their children, to, to fairly and wisely love their children, and to do so with joy. God, I pray that you would help their kids see Jesus through them. And God, I pray that you would comfort those of us in here today, those of us who are missing our mother, missing children, whether through distance or through a death. God, we pray that you would provide comfort. God, we pray that you would provide comfort for those who have given up their children for adoption. God, that your grace would be on them. God, we pray for those in here whose mothers have disappointed them. God, I ask for, for grace where there's pain and when there's bitterness. I, I ask, God, for your healing in, in the hearts and in those relationships. God, I pray that you help our church to be a place where, where mothering can happen, where people can be loved and encouraged just as a mother does. And God, I pray that today would be just a great celebration for the mothers in our lives. God, we love you and we praise you, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, we've been in this series for a couple of weeks now called Identity, and we're kind of wrestling with um, what God says about our identity. And one of the things that we've kind of said as we started this series is we all have somewhat of an identity issue. 
I mean, we live, we live in this world, and there's this, this battle that rages inside of our heart. Where are we going to allow God to define our identity? Or are we going to allow the world and, and the expectations of the world and the people around us to, defi- to define our identity? And there's this war that battles within our heart. As we kind of wrestle with, how do we live in this world but not of this world? And so this is an issue that so many of us face because whether it's from the culture or whether we listen to what people say about us, and it influences our identity. And so what we end up trying to do is we want to rearrange our bodies and we try and and do all this stuff and we want to buy all this stuff and we want to try all these things to somehow see if we can fix what's gone wrong in us because we have this identity problem. Easy for us to look into the mirror and to look at ourselves and think that we are second rate. Because life has happened. Because somehow we have this idea that we are not built and and created the way that we were supposed to be. We're not living the way that we should be. And so there's little things about us. Especially when we begin to compare ourselves with other people. And we begin to say, man, something just isn't right within me. And so what happens is we notice these things in our lives. And then we begin to overcompensate for them. We begin to say, well, I noticed this thing about me, and I don't like this thing, and nobody else has this thing, so I'm going to overcompensate it, or I'm going to try and numb those feelings. I'm going to try to do something that would numb it so I don't have to feel so bad about myself because I have this thing about me. And this is, uh, contextually, it looks like we're, we're maybe growing up, maybe you felt invisible. Maybe nobody really paid attention to you. And so what you've done is is you've spent the last several years wrapping yourself in success, trying to have the attention brought on you to say, look what I've done. I am valuable. Maybe maybe you've been told you're ugly. Maybe, Maybe you begin to think in your mind, maybe God made a mistake with the way that he designed me. And so to compensate, you wrap yourself up in false beauty, in sensuality. Or you turn to false idols that you think are going to remedy what's gone wrong in your heart. Maybe, maybe for you men, maybe you feel weak at some capacity. And so you overcompensate by trying to be a loud guy. You try to be Mr. Macho. All to mask perhaps that there's something inside of you that you're not very proud of. That you're not as strong as you wish you were. Maybe you've grown up and you've just felt lonely in life. And so you, you, you wrap yourself up in relationships. You're going from one relationship to the next. Where you've got to have people around you. Because if you don't, you feel completely insecure and alone again. Maybe, maybe you grew up and you knew what it was like to be poor. You say, I don't want to feel poor anymore. So uh, this is why you always have the appearance of wealth. Where you want people to think that you have means in your life when the reality is we're struggling through life. But you want that appearance to be, look, we're doing good. We've got it set. And these are the things that we wrestle with our identity of trying to figure out. How do I be something different? How do I be something better? And God would look at us and say, whoa, what's going on here, guys? God's telling us not to to live like that because God has bigger plans for our lives. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. If you have a Bible, just open your Bible up to uh, around the middle of the Bible, and you'll find the book of Psalms, Psalm 139. 
The thing I like about Psalm 139 is this psalm will touch every one of our lives. Every one of our lives can be found uh, pictured through Psalm 139. About we have this identity that is not defined by the world. We have this identity that is not as dictated by the way that people talk about us. But we have an identity that is built from God. And when we understand that our identity is not based on what this world says, but it's based on what God says, there's a confidence that we can live in who we are and who God has made us to be. Because no longer are we trying to, to worry about what everybody else says. We know that God, who sees us at our worst moment and still loves us and accepts us, when we have that kind of love, then that changes our identity and frees us up just to say, this is who God made me to be. And I, I can be that person. So we've seen the last couple of weeks, we saw verses 1 through 6. We saw that God is omniscient. That God knows all things. That God knows us very personally. That even, even the, the, the thoughts of our mind, before they become words, before, before we can actually formulate them, God knows our thoughts. We saw two weeks ago, verses 7 through 12, that God is omnipresent. I got it right this time. God is omnipresent, which means God is always with us. There's no place that we can go that we can escape his presence. He is always there with us. And today we're going to be look at, looking at verses 13 to 18 in Psalm 139. And that is the idea that God is omnipotent. That God is all-powerful. And we're going to see the power of God in the way that he made you and I. And so I was thinking about how do you title this message? And I was thinking, how many of you guys ever watched VeggieTales growing up? Okay. God made you special. That's our message today. God made you special. So if you are able to, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And uh, we're going to uh, read Psalm 139 verses 13 to 18. You can follow along on your phone, on your Bible. Uh, the words will also be on the screen behind me. And here's, here's God's word for us today. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's wombs. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were in every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious, are, how precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God, how vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. It's God's word for us today. Let's, let's pray. God, just thank you for this opportunity to be gathered today with your people. God, as we come into the, the house of God, we know that uh, we're with your family today. So God, I pray that you would just allow your spirit to rest on us, that you would speak to us. That God, you would give us understanding about our identity. This thing that so many of us wrestle with, that God, that you would give us a peace and a confidence in knowing that you have made us special. And that we are precious in your sight. So God, I pray that you allow the distractions to be set aside now, that we could lean in. And hear your word today, right now, Jesus. We love you and we praise you and we ask this in your name. Amen. You can go ahead and, and have, a, have a seat. There are three points I want to share from uh, these verses today. And the first one is that you were created uniquely and perfectly by God. Okay, I want you to understand that you were made, you were created 
uniquely and perfectly by God. Have you ever thought that about yourself, though? Like, when you stand in front of the mirror, is that what you think? You look in the mirror and you think, man, I am wonderfully made. Or do you look in the mirror and you begin to see all the little wrong things that are wrong with you? You know, you begin to look and say, well, why, why do I look like this? Why do I talk like this? You know, why is it for me, why is it that my forehead keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger? And that hair keeps growing out of my ears and out of my nose. Like, why do I have this problem going on? And not only do we look in the mirror and kind of see what's wrong with ourselves, oftentimes we're looking outwards and we're looking at everybody else and we see what's going on in other people's lives and we begin to feel even worse about ourselves because we look at what somebody else has and we say, man, I wish I had some of that. I mean, I do this. And so I, I, I brought a bag of some stuff and I just thought I would show you kind of what it looks like. So Jason Webster is a, is a guy that we've enjoyed working with this past year and he's been hanging out with us. But the thing is, Jason Webster, he goes to the gym and he doesn't do leg day. He just does biceps, okay? So you look at him, he's got these biceps. And so part of me begins to say, you know what? I need to get my weights out. And so because I'm looking at somebody else and saying, I want some of that, I carry this weight around. I want to build my biceps. And then I'm looking around and I'm thinking, um, Jim Herring. Like, if you know Jim Herring, this guy is so smart. Like, he is so theologically sound. Like, like... He makes me want to, to learn and grow more. And so the other thing I'll do is I'll take my systematic theology book. And because I'm trying to compare with, with Jim, I'm going to carry my systematic theology book around. And then I look and I see, I see Tom Hale. Now, Tom Hale's a man I, I thoroughly respect. He's a fisherman. He's a good fisherman. So, of course, I'm going to grab my fishing pole and say I'm going to be a little bit like Tom and start carrying my fishing pole around and trying to catch some fish it's broken it's in two pieces it's not supposed to be like that so there's my fishing pole and then and then i think i'm on my father-in-law my father i don't know if you know my father-in-law but he's that guy that can do anything with a tool and so i think well man he's a manly man i gotta be like that so i you know grabbed my hammer i got my hammer here and uh gotta gotta figure this out and then i think i see stephen kelly scott another couple that i just uh, I, I look up to, I admire to an extent. And what they like to do is they like to hike. They hike all over the place, like crazy distances. And so then I think, well, I need to grab my hiking boots. I need to have these hiking boots around so I can begin to, uh, to hike and, and, and achieve some of those things that I'd love to do there. Um, and, then, uh, and then I start looking around and I'm like, man, there's a really cool pastor with a really successful church. And you know, one of the things I notice about that is he's really hip. And I think, I got to start looking a little bit hipper. And so I, you know, I, I got my, my, my razor. I got to start combing my hair, cutting my hair just right. And you see what we're doing. We're, we're adding all these things and trying to say, I want to change myself to be someone a little bit better. I think about, I've got two brother-in-laws that live near me. And we live in a little orchard. Now, both my brother-in-laws grew up on a farm. Well, one of them really did grow up on a farm. The other one grew up on Sela. But these guys... These guys are, are mechanical. I love watching them. They can jump on equipment and make equipment work. And, and, and I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. And so I think I want to learn from them. And so I, I got my, I got my uh, jumper cables and I'll start learning how to, how to do some of that. And then I think about my buddy Ben. Like he's a basketball player and he's good. And I'm like, I want to be like him. So I got my basketball here. And, uh, and, and you kind of see what happens. 
is when we start looking around and start thinking all the things that, you know, would make us better. I mean, God says that we're, when we live for him, when we're a child of God, we're supposed to be free. But do I look really free right now? See, one of the things I know that, that God made me, God made me passionate. And when I find, when I'm holding all this stuff, it's kind of hard for me to be passionate. I'm actually kind of feeling like I'm suffocating and my arm really hurts because this weight just keeps <laughs> sitting there. But let's be honest, how many of us are living like this? Where you're looking at yourself and thinking, look at all these things wrong that I have with me. And maybe, maybe if I could just lift the weights, maybe if I could just carry my systematic theology book, maybe if I could just do this, then maybe things would be right in my life and I'd feel better about myself. But this is what God's word says for us. It says, For you formed my inward parts. This means David's talking about the seed of our emotions. It's our most secret thoughts. It's who we are deep down. He says, God, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You need to underline that in your Bible. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. See, David is writing this, and he's, he's speaking about our formation, our, our development as people. And he says, when we are fearfully and wonderfully made, the idea is that what God does when he makes us, it's just mind-blowing. It's, it, it's, it's like a miracle. It's something that, that is beyond our comprehension, how amazing it is that God has created us. Now, I'm not a science guy. Science was never my favorite subject. But I did do a little bit of reading on science this week just to, okay, God, help me understand, like, like how great is our bodies? Okay? So I did some research, uh, reading some research by Philip Yancey. And he did some research about the human brain just to understand how fearfully and wonderfully made our human brain is. And this is what he says. He says, our brain has the ability to, to learn to reason, and to control our automatic body functions. We, 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 um, our heart rate, our blood pressure, our breathing, um, all these things. Our brain has the ability to do all those things while we maintain balance, while we walk or while we run or while we sit. All the time we can do that while we're concentrating on something else. Like our brain can handle all of that information, all those things at once, All the time, while we're not even paying attention to it, it just does it. Computers, they might be able to outdo the brain in raw calculating power. But computers are completely primitive when it comes to performing the most reasonable tasks that you and I can do. I mean, our brain, our brain has the amazing amazing ability to adapt, okay? If you were to take some glasses and put some glasses that, that... would make you see the world upside down. You put those glasses on. Your brain would begin to reinterpret that information so that you would perceive the world right side up again. Like your brain just adapts to that. You think about this. If you blindfold somebody for a long period of time, okay, if you blindfold them, the vision center of your brain, it begins to take that energy and send it elsewhere. For other functions, which is why when somebody uh, can't see, 
their other senses are heightened. That's why they hear a little bit better. That's why they smell a little better. That's why they feel a little bit better. Because our brain has the ability to take that energy and send it somewhere else to compensate for it. This is why, this is why when, you, when you live in a big city and you, you live by the subway, pretty soon your mind begins to block out the sound of that subway. You don't hear it anymore because this is our brain showing us the ability to, to adapt. I, I asked a couple of, 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 of medical people in, in here today. I said, what is amazing about your body? What is amazing about the human body? And one of them said it's, it's, it's the whole way that, that, that babies are made. I mean, it's crazy to think about these, this, this little fish and the egg and, and how that grows into a baby. Like, that's amazing. He says, and another guy said, well, you've got all these cells. And these cells, it's not like there's, it's not like there's a, a, an engine running it. It's just these cells that just bounce off each other. And it just comes into perfect rhythm that keeps your body moving. See, our bodies are completely mind-blowing. If you don't believe that, ask Dr. Edgerly. He would love to tell you all about the human body. I'm just throwing yourself under the bus, so I hope you don't have plans this afternoon. Uh, But you want to understand how amazing the human body is? Talk to somebody in the medical field. Talk to Jen Sumner. She will tell you just how amazing our bodies are. In fact, there's a guy by the name of Augustine or Augustine, depending on how you want to call it. And he said this. He said, men, people, we go abroad to wander the heights of mountains. How many of you guys, you just climb a mountain, you get up and you look down and you're, it's just kind of majestic. Like, wow, look at all this. Anybody, anybody that, that's, that's you? He says, men go to the, see the huge waves of the sea. That's my spot. When I go to the ocean and I can see everything out in front of me, I'm like, ah, oh, this is majestic. He said, uh, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motions of the stars. He said, we go abroad to see all these things, and they pass by themselves without ever wondering. Like, you want to see how great God is? Just look at yourself. Look at your body. Because it's amazing. And specifically, he says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. This word wonderfully has has two parts that we have to understand. The first part, it means that we are set apart. That our body is is special to God. To be set apart means that we're special. We've been called out. When when God's people were were set apart, they they were called out from the other people to say, you're special, you're unique, you're different than others. And God looks at you and says, you are wonderfully made. You are set apart. You are unique. You are special. But not only does it speak of of that we are special, that word wonderfully also refers to value. See, in that day, dealing with with a shirt, it would say that this this tapestry, this, this article of clothing, it is wonderfully made. It's the expensive stuff. It's the top of the line. And that's what God's saying about us. You and I, we are top of the line. Referring to you and I, we're not the cheap knockoff. We're not, we're not the hand-me-down. We are the real thing. We're not the, we're not the outlet ball mess-ups. No, we're Prada. We're Prada. We're Oscar de la Renta. 
Like we're not, we're not, uh, men, you're not the hunting section at Walmart. You're the expensive stuff at Cabela's. You are not a Kia Rio, Kia, Kia Rio. You are a Tesla or a Cadillac. Like, do you understand? This is what Dave was trying to say about us is you are top of the line. You are valuable. You're the best that God can make. He goes further in verse 15 and he says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven at the depths of the earth. He's talking about the formation of, the, uh, of a baby in the womb of the mom. This past week, it was exciting. On, on last Sunday night, Jennifer and jo- Johnny Holland, they had their baby, baby Silas. I think we've got some pictures of, of Silas up here. Uh, very healthy baby, seven pounds, was born uh, Saturday night at 6.30. You know, when I think about Jennifer being pregnant and that little baby growing in the womb, like Jennifer's a great mom, but she didn't make that baby. It's not like, yes, that baby was developing. It's not like she was saying, okay, well, now I need to, I need to put some fingers on the baby. I want the finger, you know. It's not like she was saying along the way, well, I want the baby to, you know, to have hair. So I'm going to throw some hair on there. She didn't do that. And what David is saying is that God intricately woo weaves the baby in that mother's womb and and allows that baby to develop and grow. You understand that that was what God was doing for us when we were in the womb, that God, his hand was on our life. And listen, many of us will believe that, that, that God gives the gift of life. Like many of us understand that God, you know, when we look at that newborn baby, we look at baby Silas, certainly God gave the gift of life there. Yet, do, you, do we really believe that about our own life? Like, we can look at this newborn baby and say, that is a gift of God. But do you believe that about your own life? What if, what if you and I accepted our lives as being gifts from God? What if we understood that that newborn baby, when we say that's the gift of God, what if we understood that about us today? What if we believed these words that you are unique, that you are special, that God made you just the way that he wanted? What if we actually believe those words? How would that change your life? How would that change your identity Where no longer you had to go and look from everybody else and and try and change yourself to be someone else. What if you just accepted what God says about you? That you are unique, that you are special, that you are the top of the line. That he made you fearfully and wonderfully. See, life isn't just to be celebrated in the womb. Life is to be celebrated in your 20s and in your 30s and in your 40s. And Dan, enjoying your 80s. Life is to be celebrated and accepted and received even today. Because listen, God has created you uniquely and perfectly. There are no mistakes. You are not a mistake. God has his hand informing you to be who you are today. But not only that, not only does God create us uniquely and perfectly, But number two for us this morning, God designed your life with a plan. God designed your life with a plan. Verse 16, David writes and says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, 
and your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. David is saying, God, I understand like even before I was born, even before I was a thought in my mom's mind, even before she found out I was pregnant, God, you had a design for my life. You had a purpose. You had a reason for me to live. Even before he, was a, before he was a thought in his parents' mind, he was a thought in God's mind. See, this idea of this verse is that nothing in your life catches God by surprise. Nothing in your life catches God by surprise. I'd say it like this, that God has designed your story for his glory. That's good preaching right there. God has designed your story for his glory. Now listen, it's easy for us to believe that when good things happen in our life, right? It's easy for, easy for us to believe when we're having babies and when things are going good. Okay, God, you designed this for your glory. I get it, God. But listen, this verse also is referring to things that happen in our life that aren't very good. Also talking about the bad things. That God uses in our life for his glory. Let me clarify. This doesn't mean that God is the author of sin. And that's a message for another day. God is not the author of sin. But somehow in God's great scheme and God's great plans. He allows these bad things in our life. Because somehow they will bring glory to God. In fact, many of you know my story. That my dad died when I was nine years old. And uh, dad died... Mom was a custodian. She struggled to make ends meet for, for years. And we had a friend of our family who, uh, she was a principal. She valued ed- education. And she looked at me as a young man. And she knew our circumstances. She said, Kevin, I'm going to pay for you to go to college. I'm like, that's awesome. Like, that's cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for that. She says, you just uh, go to school. You work hard. And I will make sure you have a college education for you. Well, the thing is, when I was... Uh, in between my junior and senior year of high school, I decided I was going to become a Christian. I became one of you, one of us. I became a Christian. And at that moment, like there were, <laughs> yeah, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think that's a bad thing. But I became a Christian. And there were so many people in my life that cut me off. There were friends that I grew up with that we were best friends. Relationship cut off. Mentors that poured into me after my dad died that helped to... Help me understand what it means to be a man that would no longer answer the phone for me. This lady said, you're going to be a Christian. This is what you're walking away from. Now listen, we look at this and we're like, that's a terrible thing. Like what a horrible thing to have to go through. But I can tell you right now, as I look back at my story, like if I would have gone to college when, at that moment, if I would have just gone straight, I never would have gotten hired to work at Madison House. And listen, if there is no experience of me at Madison House, I'm not sure Restoration Church exists. And this is where we understand we go through hard times. We go through difficult things. And God has a purpose behind it. God has designed your story and my story for his glory. Do you understand this? I mean, I, I, wish, I wish that we could just open up our, the, the Bible and just hear this to every one of us. Your story is not a surprise to God. 
God has a reason behind it. And someday we'll see it. We don't always see it in the middle of it. Oftentimes we go through those hard things and we're like, man, this sucks. This is hard. But if you give time to work, you will see that God had a plan. That God was doing something for his glory, for our good. Because God, that's what he does. In fact, any time that God wants to do something new, oftentimes he sends his servants through a dark valley. Have you seen this in your life? That when God wants to do something new, he sends you into a difficult time. Because you're going to learn and you're going to grow. This is what 1 Peter First Peter chapter 1 says. We're going to be looking at Peter in a couple of weeks. First Peter, and I'm excited for that series. But First Peter chapter 1 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Okay? He says you're going to, for a season, you're going to be grieved by various trials. And here's what he says why. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Those hard situations we're going through is taking that gold and putting it through the fire to be refined, to be strengthened, to, to be made resolved. So ultimately, it'd be found, our life would be found to give praise and glory and honor to Jesus. I want us to, to know this. I want us to believe this. As a pastor, I want you to understand when, when hard things come in your life. Listen, I don't want to give you a, a cliche. I don't want to give you just a, a, a Hallmark card to make you feel better. But I want you to understand today, before you're in that hard time, that God has designed your story. And he's not letting go. He's not surprised by the hard things you're going through. And if you just remain faithful, he will carry you through. And you will see at the end, you will see God had a great purpose behind it. So God has made us wonderfully and specially. And he's designed our life and our story for his glory. And number three this morning, God's thoughts towards me are precious. God's thoughts towards you are precious. David says in verse 17, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would be more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. See, when he says, when he says, how precious are your thoughts. These are, uh, these are, his thoughts are prized. They're, they're highly appraised. They're costly. They're, they've got a great amount of value towards them. Let's just take a time out right now. And think about this. How would you answer if I asked how God views you right now? How does God view you right now? How would you answer that? Some of you would say, man, I'm, I bet he's really disappointed. Yep, you should have seen me last week. <laughs> Surprised God's not zapping me down right now. Where I was, what I was thinking, what I was doing. God's got to be mad at me. But again, what if? What if verse 17 was true? What if God right now thinks of you with that term precious? 
looking at, I'm looking out at some of you right now, and I know some of you, you know, you are, you're a gun-carrying, truck-driving dude. Like, you're a manly man. I, I, I'm looking at you right now, and it's kind of, it's almost a little bit weird and uncomfortable for me to tell you that God thinks that you are precious. It's really weird, Dana. That's really weird. But listen, that's what God says. That is what he thinks about you. He says that you are precious in his sight. This isn't just a a sentimentality towards us. This isn't God saying, I've got strong feelings for you. No, that he sees us in love and he rejoices over us because we are his. Because he created us unique and special. Because God designed our story for his glory. And he looks at us and he says, listen, listen, you are precious to me. You are special to me. Listen, this is the truest thing about you. Moms, today's Mother's Day. The truest thing about you is not that you are a mother. The truest thing about you is that you are precious in his sight. Men, the truest thing about you is not that you are a dad or that you are a man. The truest thing about you is that you are precious in God's sight. Listen, you single person here today, and you're, you're longing for more. The truest thing about you is not that you are single. The truest thing about you is that you are precious in God's sight. The truest thing about you is not that you attend Restoration Church, not that you are a leader in the church, not that you volunteer at church. The truest thing about you is that you are precious in God's sight. The truest thing about you is not that you are a carpenter or or a teacher or a doctor. The truest thing about you is that you are precious in God's sight. Listen, I understand some of you say, well, I'm an addict. I'm I'm a convict. Listen, that is not your identity. That is not the truest thing about you. The truest thing about you is that you are precious in God's sight. And I can't say this enough. I want us to understand it. Because so many times you don't feel that. So many times you look at the mirror and we say, look what's wrong with me. I mean, I talk for a living and I can't get my words out of my mouth half the time. But listen, I'm still precious in God's sight. Your identity, listen to this, your identity is not what you do. Your identity is not what you look like. Your identity is not what people say about you. Your identity is who you are in Christ. And he says, you are precious to me. Hallelujah. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, your identity, your identity is that you are a precious child of God in his sight. And this is my encouragement for you today. Be the person that God made you to be. You got quirks. We all got quirks. Be the person that God made you to be and stop trying to be somebody else. Have a confidence that God made you special and unique and wonderful. 
Have a confidence in God's word when he says, I have designed your story for God's glory. And have a confidence that God looks at you and says, you are precious to me. Isn't that good? I want to close just by a point of application. See, if we understand this, that we as, as human beings, we are made uniquely and special and wonderful by God. Listen, if it's true of us, that means it's true of all of you as well. If it's true of me, it's true of you. And if it's true of us, then doesn't that mean that all people were made uniquely and specially and wonderfully by God? And if we understand this, then we have got to begin to see people as being precious in God's sight. We begin to think about all the biases that we have, prejudices, hesitancies, because certain people look different than us or talk different than us or, or live differently than we do. Listen, if we understand what God's word says, shouldn't we see all people the way that God sees them? I've had this opportunity this last month. I've sat through two different meetings. The superintendent of the Yakima School District, he called a bunch of pastors and says, I want you to come and and have a conversation with me. He's saying, you know what? We need church support in our schools. Listen, this is a public school superintendent of the district who brings his principals in and says, principals, I want you to share your needs with these church leaders because we need the church community. We need their support. And I got to sit and talk to the principal at Washington Middle School and the principal at Stanton Alternative School. And they're inviting us and saying, hey, we need help. We've got all these issues. We need, we need kids to be mentored. We need, we need loving people who will engage with kids and just extend them grace. Listen, I think about our city. We've had a violent spring. You can read the newspaper and hear about, I think we're at eight homicides so far this year. AMPM clerk right over here, shot to death. Listen, we don't need more armchair quarterbacks complaining about how bad our city is. See, if God created all people And if God loves all people, then you and I have got to figure out how do we love people the way that God loves them? How do we engage them? You want to know why there are gangs? Because there's young people looking for an identity. There's young people who look in the mirror and don't feel like they measure up. There's young people who look and say, I don't know what it means to be loved. And so they begin to look for that love, that acceptance, and that accountability in the wrong places. Listen, when we look at our community, the problems in our community, how many of those problems are rooted down to identity? From people not understanding who they are. That they are precious in God's sight. Listen, as you think about your context, about where God has placed you in this city, in your neighborhood, in, in, in your workplace, in the school that you are involved in. You think perhaps God has placed you in that, in that circle of influence for a reason. So that you and I might learn how to be the hands and feet of Jesus. 
so that we can take young people who are so confused about their identity, who are longing for acceptance, who are longing to be told, you are precious, you are valuable, you are wonderful. Don't we have the privilege of being in the hands and feet of Jesus and doing that? I don't know for our church if there's going to be a relationship with one of these schools. I'm just going to throw it out to you guys. This is an opportunity for us to engage and make a difference in our city in the name of Jesus. What an opportunity. How crazy for the school district, the public school, to come and say, hey, we want you to be involved. We want you to engage. We want you to serve. Listen, if that sparks an interest in you, say, man, I'd love to be a part of figuring out how the church would be involved in one of those schools. Come and talk to me. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Ultimately today, I want us to walk away feeling confident. Confident. That you and I are precious in the sight of God. That we can be the person that God has made us to be. We can stop trying to be someone else. Stop trying to feel bad about ourselves. Instead, see us the way that God sees us. As precious. Let's pray. God, I just... God, I needed that reminder today. That God, you created me very specially and uniquely. That you created my life with a purpose and a design. It's not by chance. It's not an accident. It's not a surprise to you. God, I pray that you help us to believe these words today, every one of us in here today. God, I pray that you would help us to, to believe that we were created uniquely and, and perfectly by God. That God, we would understand that today, today, our life is to be celebrated, to be accepted. Because God, you have made us who we are. The God, that you have designed our story, God, for your glory. God, I pray that we wouldn't be ashamed of our story. I pray that we wouldn't be overtaken because of our story. But God, that we would lean into you because we understand that, God, you are the designer. And you are working things out, God, for our good and for your glory. And God, I pray especially that you help us to believe these words so we are precious in your sight. You are not what you do. Your identity is who you are in Christ. Help us to be a people that believe this and accept it. Help us to be a people that believes this about our city, about the people in our city. Give us a passion to love people the way that you love them. God, I pray right now that you just give us the opportunity to wrestle with these things in our hearts. I got some of us just need to kneel before you this morning and cry out to say, God, God, help me. God, I hear your word today. Help me to believe it. It's like the father praying for his son. 
God, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. God, I pray that you help us today just to, to wrestle with these things, to, to wrestle with our identity in you. God, for those of us that can stand up and say, man, I, I get it. I am precious. I pray, God, you help us just to, to worship you and praise you. That as we sing these couple of songs, that we can just lift our hands up and close our eyes and praise you because, God, you are wonderful and you have made us wonderfully. God, I pray for your spirit to rest on us. That, God, you would comfort us, that you would encourage us, that you would convict us. Your Holy Spirit would reside in this place right now, Jesus. I ask this in your holy and precious name.